We're going to talk about men and masculinity and the confusing relationships that men have. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey of faith that you must go on. It's not mm-hmm. something you can opt out of. You are either growing or shrinking in your faith at any point in time, but we want to come alongside <laughs> you to help be part of your journey. We are of here faith. to help. We are here to help. And we want to be part of your journey to strengthen your faith along the way. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. (laughs) Douglas Peak. Hey everyone, so good to be here with you today. You know, life's too short to be shallow, so you need some people to help you along this journey. You know, it's it's your journey, you're making the decisions and you're doing the work, but you need people around you to encourage you, people to help guide you, give you the tools that you need, because sometimes the things are just too difficult and too tough. We kind of give up. We lose a little bit of our uh, our tenacity. And so our goal at Salty Pastor is to provide you with as many of those things as possible to help you in your journey of growth so you deepen your faith. So we're pretty excited about this series we're doing right now. So we are in our series, Desperado, and you kicked it off with a bang, Pastor. With Sunday's, a bang. Sunday's service was phenomenal. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I really encourage you to go back and listen to the message on Sunday because mm-hmm. I think Pastor Doug did a great job knocking it out of the park as far as speaking to what men are really going through these days and yeah. why this series is so, so important for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you teased with a little statement last week that the focus on this week would be men and relationships. And I am excited to hear what you have to say about men and relationships. I bet you are. I bet you are. Well, we're going to talk about men and masculinity and the confusing relationships that men have. Uh, It might be a little PG 13 today. So if you listen with your family or kids in the car, you know, we're just, you know, we're salty. We just kind of talk about whatever comes up. And so that's important. And I just think it's really significant to understand that the reason why relationships are so confusing today, particularly for men, is because we've adopted these ideologies in our society that started in the 60s during the sexual revolution and the 70s with the feminist movement. Um, and what has happened is our society has redefined the definition, you know, it's redefined the, what a male is and what a female is. Mm. And that's why today we have so much, uh, this, there's this a huge divisive thing going on right now with this gender ideology. And we've talked a little bit about it before, but it comes out of this. And what that is, is called a worldview and a biblical worldview has the definition of male and the definition of female. And it's, fairly specific. It says in Genesis chapter one, verse 20, it says, and God created them in his image, male and female, he created them. And so I think that's important to understand is that the biblical worldview has a definition that male and female are different. And you see it in the Hebrew words themselves. The Hebrew word for male is zakar, and it means uh, well, it has different flavors to it, but it means like pole, like a, you know, like a pole flagpole, yep. you know, uh, it could mean sword. It could mean, uh, 
this is what one interesting part about it is it's piercing. The mm-hmm. the main flavor of the the word is piercing. So you know, swords and knives and poles, they pierce spears, they right. they pierce through things, right? But it also has a flavor in its entomology, and entomology is where words come from and how they're, you know, derived, is it means like a thought. Okay. So it creates, so and that thought then is kind of launched. Yeah. So it's kind of odd. And then the word for female is uh, nekabah, and nekabah, basically means um pierced so if zakar means to pierce female means being pierced it it has a sense of like a sheath mm-hmm. that you know it's hollow so it's it um, some people have tried to interpret to mean receive and i th- i don't think that that's really uh, very accurate um, it, it could be construed that way, but that I don't think what is the biblical meaning of it from the original language or Hebrew and what it means. So, you know, it says that males are created in God's image and females are created in God's image. And the, uh, the entomology of these words show that they're vastly different. And the usage of the words show that they're vastly different. So it's really difficult to make any biblical case that men and women are exactly the same interchangeable parts in any system. Well, and if you look at society's view on this these days, not a biblical view, but society's Mm -hmm. view, there's this really strong fascination with trying to eliminate any differences between males and females. It's they want to say, well, it's all about how you feel and there's no real difference. It's all a social construct. And uh, these ideologies have really gained a ton of prevalence in society Mm -hmm. these days. So why is understanding that there is a difference critical? Well, because I think when we talk about the relationships between men and women, uh, what we find is that males and females have different challenges when they try to bond and relate to and have a relationship with someone of the opposite sex. My position is that, you know, we are meant for each other. We are meant to be in relationship with one another male men or males need females they Mm. need females in their lives females need men and you know there's this thing on uh social media now where all these women are posting these things where they say you know i don't need a man i i I, you know it's not man is not a man is not a necessity in my life it's a luxury you know i can take care of myself and do my own thing i don't need a man but i would like one well Okay, that's pretty ridiculous. Right? That's just kind of ridiculous because I understand you're trying to split hairs and talk about how you're so important and self-sufficient and independent, you know. But you know, you're recording this thing on, you're putting it on TikTok in a car that was designed and built by a man, you know, and you are using electricity that was uh, designed and the infrastructure to charge your phone was built by men. And, and so this notion, this, this idiotic, well, we don't need each other. I don't need women. Women don't need men. You know, that we're just luxuries or we're icing on a cake is ridiculous. And so I, I think that we have all these challenges. We need each other. We're meant to bond with one another. But what has happened is sin has tainted the bonding. Sin is a taint. It perverts. 
So the, the capacity to relate to one another in a pure and righteous way is now uh, tainted by sin, right? And it, it negatively influences that in the motivations of it. So your desire, um, I think, that we have to be bonded can be wounded, warped, or perverted. And if we don't understand how this affects us as males and females, then we're doomed to suffer and not enjoy one another. And so, you know, we have to talk about the fact that once sin came in, in tainted males and tainted females, God issues a curse, right? Now, the, the notion of the curse is, is it descriptive or postscriptive? Okay. Some people say, well, God, you know, is going to make it happen this way. Uh, some, some theologians say, well, no, God is simply stating this is what's happening because of the choices you've made. You've now made yourself like us and able to discern good from evil, but this is the outcome of it. Right. And then this is the judgment. Okay. And so it's interesting, but in chapter three, cause we read in chapter one created in male and female in chapter three, verse 16 is where the, cur- well, first uh, earlier that 14, he curses the snake and Satan, but then what he does is he curses the woman and out of all the curses, she has the shortest one. So she should like that. But he basically says this verse 16, he goes to the woman. God says, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. And with painful labor, you will give birth to a son. Now, if you notice before the fall, he said to the male and female that you, the two will become one. They'll cleave together, become one flesh. And I think that that is not only a spiritual thing about intimacy, but also the pragmatic is that you're going to birth children. Because then he says, be fruitful and multiply. Right. And so it wasn't seen as a burden or a difficulty. Well, now it is. Right. You know, and what's re- it's really interesting is that this is what sin does is it perverts our natural drives. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the the calling and in a lot of ways of women, the Bible talks about this is that is that your body is designed to do something that, you know, a male body cannot do. Right. right. You can carry a child. You can give birth. You know, you're the cradle of life, so to speak, co-creator with God. That's really quite an amazing thing. And so if you participate in what your body is designed for, there's really deep meaning and purpose that comes from that. All, all, all women, you know, get, get said, man, I, the most meaningful thing in my life is my children and grandchildren. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting is that of, out of all the women that choose not to have children or can't have children, 90% of them look back and say the greatest regret of my life is not being, is not having a child. Mm. So, so what does that mean? That means that, okay, now the thing that brings them the most joy and purpose and meaning in life, it comes about through labor and pain. There's a lot of suffering in that. And then he says something really quite interesting that people have debated all the time. He says, your desire will be for your husband, and yet he will rule over you. So the Hebrew word for desire is uh, teshukah, and it means to stretch out over. Okay. Does that sound weird? Stretch out a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) I was waiting for you to elaborate before I asked questions. Well, do you remember in the book of Ruth where, uh, she follows Naomi back to, to the nation of Israel and Boaz is a bachelor and he's wealthy and he falls asleep. And so Naomi tells Ruth, uh, go and lay at his feet. And if he takes his, blanket or whatever and stretches it over you 
then that means he desires you. He's interested in you. So Ruth goes and Boaz then does that. that. That's the imagery here. It's really interesting, though, because this word is only used really in one other place. It's not used in Ruth. Uh, they use a different word for that, but it's kind of the imagery. The only other place they really use this word in the New Testament, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, is uh, one chapter later when okay. Cain and Abel are uh, bringing their offerings before God and God says, you know, Abel, I receive yours, and Cain, I reject it. So Cain's upset, okay? And before he goes and kills Abel, he has a conversation with God. And God tells him this. He goes, look, he said um, in verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you. So he used the exact same word. And what's interesting there is in that context, what it basically means is, is that this desire, in other words, sin wants to control you. It mm. wants to be the rule. And so a lot of uh, theologians, majority theologians say that basically what this is, is that women have a desire to rule over or control the man in their life, but they won't be able to do it. Mm. Okay. He's going to, he's going to rule, he, not you. Now, some people have gone back and tried to say, uh, create a kind of an autocratic type thing in the New Testament of order. And, and I'm, not, I'm not so sure when you understand Jewish culture and then you understand what Paul is teaching in the New Testament that he's just trying to set up a new hierarchy. I, I don't think that's what he's doing. But what he's saying is that you have these really powerful natural drives within you as a human being that have been corrupted. Mm. Okay, And the biggest thing that women have to realize is that this drive causes them to uh, disrespect their husbands, right? And that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter five, where he says, the main thing you got to do as a female, if you're a wife is, you know, respect your husband because your husband feels loved when he's respected. Right. Right. Now it's interesting is because what he's basically saying is that, uh, uh, this isn't a sexual longing. It's more of a control longing over your man, right? Right. And he tells Cain in 4-7, you got to learn how to rule over this dis drive to do this. And so I think that's pretty remarkable, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, I think looking at those verses, your, your first reading, if you have no context of the original language it was written in, yeah. and you see these translations, you would see, yeah, your desire will be for your husband. You would interpret that as, oh, like sexually, you would you, yeah. you have desire for your husband. But that's when you then look at, you know, Cain and Abel and that next chapter, you're like, oh, well, that doesn't make sense if that's the same word. Yeah. But you don't get that idea because you're like, oh, well, it's a different context and desire right. can be used in multiple ways. But if we're looking at the original language, it's very specific about what kind, right? Yes. And so this idea that... um we go back to that story of, of the girl in the car talking about how she doesn't need a man and how society has basically convinced these women that they either have to justify their desire for a man mm -hmm. by saying, well, I don't need one. I just want one right. versus like, no, we can admit that men are important in the lives, whether they helped build the car that you're in or mm -hmm. helped with the electricity or they are an, a romantic interest in your life. It's okay to admit, Hey, I 
do need this in my life because I feel like that's that because it, it's going to bring me joy. And it's the way we were designed to be as yes, men we were, and women. Yes, right? yes. Very but, rarely, because Jesus said this in the New Testament, very rarely are we designed to be eunuchs relationally and sexually. Right. He says it's a special gift from God. Yeah. Right? And so... There's this other idea, you know, going back to what you had talked about with the the control aspect, desire to control. There's a lot of guys that, I mean, I personally don't like ever being controlled. I mean, that's, yeah. it's, it's just an innate desire of like, okay, I know what my role is and I know what I'm supposed to do. And so when someone comes to me and is like, well, you need to be doing it this way. You need to be doing it this way. My initial response is <laughs> no, like no, yeah. it could be the greatest idea. But when you come to me and you're trying to like control, control me. me or, or if someone's trying to manipulate their way in and you kind mm -hmm. of start seeing them being like, oh, well, you know, they're talking to so-and-so and so-and-so is now suddenly pitching you the idea. It's like, now you're just further drawing pushing yeah. me away because I would rather just have a conversation and you say, Hey, I had an idea rather than, well, you should do this. And mm -hmm. you know, pastor Harv says, don't let people should all over you. Yeah. And this <laughs> is one of those things. It's like, I don't have you ever to... felt manipulated by a woman? Oh yeah. Lots of times. And what's that? That's like, <laughs> it's not great. It is. It is not great. It actually like, I've gotten to the point in a couple of relationships where I got manipulated so hard that it, it took a while to really recover and trust my future relationships that they were being honest about what they were saying and not just trying to get something out of it. Now, let me ask you a question. Cause I, I like to pursue this just real quick. Did you know that you were being manipulated before you were being manipulated? Uh, a couple times. No, but generally it's but generally I did. And I just sort of went along with it. Cause I was like, well, I want to be with this yeah. person. So I'll just endure it, but it never felt good at any point. Yeah. And that, but prior to that, you know, cause a person had a pattern of doing that. You're like, you don't know you're being manipulated until after you've been manipulated. Right. And then that's when you're like, ah, yeah, really <laughs> frustrating. So yeah. I guess here's my question, pastor. This is a series focused on men. What is their curse? And why, why does that curse make it so difficult for men to relate to women? Because this is not just a one-way thing, right? Like we've been talking right. a lot about women and, and the, the struggles they have to deal with and, and the ideology that they've been imbued with as far as, you know, I don't need a man, da 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 da, da. But this is a series on men. Why, what is going on with men that is also causing relational issues. Well, and I, I think that's the second half of the, the, or the third curse, but the longest one really kind of drops out. You know, I, I mean, it's probably the same length as uh, the one on Satan or the snake. He says to Adam, he goes, because, so he's, this is the foundation, the, the assumption on which it's built, presupposition. You listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Therefore, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. So what is the thing that most men get the most meaning out of? What, what is it that men do their whole lives? Men always do what? They work. And when men don't work, it's terrible. There's a, a, an incredible meaning and fulfillment in work. But guess what? The thing that brings men the most enjoyment is going to be toil and suffering your whole life, you know, mm. having to work. Then he goes all this. He goes, it will produce thorns and thistles for you. The things that cause men more pain and suffering in their life is work. You know, some young, some guys, young guys are like, well, I don't want to work. You know, I'm never, I'm not going to work. And they run away from work and they look for entertainment. That's right. not good. But 
He goes on to say, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So first, he said, you know, to work backwards, he says, your body's going to die. Your body will die. Notice he doesn't say that to Eve, but he says it to the man. And be, But so how does that work? Because the man's physical body must die, and what happens to females? Their physical body dies as well. Hmm, that's an interesting question. We'll have right. to pursue that someday. Second, you got to work in order to tame the influence of the sin taint in your life. You're going to have to work. You're going to labor your whole life. To uh, what? Control, to contain, to tame the influence of the sin taint, right? And I think one of the biggest things that taints a man is how he relates mm. to females, so now notice something, and the reason I say that is because notice how he starts off. He starts off by saying, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, and then he even quotes it, you must not eat from it. What is he saying? This is a very specific thing that he's saying. Is he saying, don't ever listen to your wife? No, of course not. What he's saying is that your wife counseled you to do something that you already knew was wrong. There was no question. God says there was no question because I specifically said, do not eat of this tree. And so what happened is instead of submitting to God's authority, who did he, what authority did he submit to? His wife's. His wife's. See, okay, so now you go back and understand the curse on women, which is your desire so be for your husband. And so what does this mean? He's saying, what you did is you have become passive. Mm. You become passive. When men follow the world, they become passive men. When world follow, when men follow women, they become passive men. When men follow God, they become masculine men. And that is critically important. When a, when a man falls into passivity, he, he, he will start to sense that he's being controlled by his wife. It never ends well. It's always bad. First of all, it's bad for the female. I can't tell you how many times over the last 35 years doing marriage counseling in my offices when men and women come in and she says to me, uh, we need help. Why? She's like, I can't stand him. I can't stand anything about him. And then I look at him and he goes, I don't get it. And he's totally honest. He goes, I don't get it. I do everything she wants. I, everything she does, I comply. I, I do everything. And she goes, exactly. I've lost all respect for him. Hmm. It just happens over and over and over again. Secondly, if he falls into passivity, he loses the capacity to find honor and meaning in his work right? Not just at home, he's passive, but he doesn't find meaning in his work. So how do men get into these situations? Men can fall into these situations really easily. And the first thing that they do is they do the opposite of what God wants for them. And they listen to the world or to other women who are telling them what it means to be a man. Mm. And they know that what the now can these other their wives could go in and say, well, this is what God says is a man and he should listen to that. Right. Right. But that's not what the point of this particular passage is. It's you did something opposite of what I told you. So when you listen to advice or counsel, that's opposite guess of what God's design is, what happens? 
you can fall into passivity and it doesn't end well. I find men often follow into this is because they want to keep peace at their homes. Men love uh, happy wives. You know, one of the things that makes a man happy is when his wife is happy and, and flourishing. He loves that. And so he wants to provide and protect. I want to give her a safe environment. I want to provide for her the means to, you know, be happy and enjoy life and do all these things and, and be all that. But what happens is many young wives uh, try and build their value on the idea that they can get their husband to do whatever they want. You know, they walk around and they go, well, my husband adores me. My husband worships the ground I walk on. Um, you know, and so what happens is, you know, is that the upstream ideal is that that's not a good thing. Right. You know, that, that ultimately, if a, a young wife thinks my value is based on getting my husband to do what I want, that's how I feel loved, that will not end well. Mm. That will not end well at all. The best thing a young wife can do is say, how can I encourage my husband to be a more masculine man and take the initiative? Because in the end, that benefits me the most. <laughs> it benefits us the most. It benefits the, you know, our family the most. And so I think that's really important is to stay out of passivity. That's the biggest temptation for males today is passivity. And we're going to see in a moment here as we kind of move on why that is. So he, these principles are what I would call basically a biblical worldview, right? Mm -hmm. Simply meaning that the Bible has a basic definition of what it means to be male and female. Yes. So, you know, in the, in the time we have left, I, I want to ask you this. And if we got to kind of dip some of this into Thursday, we can do that as well. But what does this definition of male and females translate into as far as men struggling with relationships. So we take this world biblical worldview and the, the definitions they give us, how does that ultimately translate into what we're struggling with today as men with women? Well, I think to understand that you have to understand the influence of second and third wave feminism over the last 50 years in our society. Uh, and here, here's some feminist writers. Susan Venker writes, the battle of the sexes is alive and well, according to the Pew Research Center, the share of women ages 18 to 34 that say having a successful marriage is one of the most important things in their lives rose nine percentage points in nine from, uh, uh, since 1997. So in the last, what is that? 15, 20 years, maybe more, 22 years. It's gone from 28 to 37% and it keeps rising. For men though, the opposite occurs, she writes. The share uh, of men voicing this opinion has dropped down to under 30%. So believe it or not, modern women, she says, want to get married, Twelve is, men don't. She goes, what's the result of this? She goes on to say, in a nutshell, women are angry. They're also defensive, though often unknowingly. That's because they've been raised to think of men as the enemy. Armed with this new attitude, women pushed men off their pedestal. Women had their own pedestal, but feminists convinced them otherwise and climbed up to take what they thought Oh, what they were taught to believe is rightfully theirs. Now men have nowhere to go. It is precisely this dynamic, women good, men bad, that has destroyed the relationship between the sexes. Yet somehow men are still to blame when love goes wrong. Heck, men have been to blame since feminists took uh, to the streets in the 70s. But what if, and this is what she says, if the dearth of good men and ongoing battle of the sexes is, hold on to your seats, the fault of women. So what she's saying is she's saying that, look, uh, maybe it's what we've done is we've, we have 
Our desire is for our men. Our desire was to get up on that pedestal that we thought they had because we wanted to rule over them. And this is what the result is. And so men have nowhere to go. So what do they do is they retreat. And over the last 30 or 40 years, uh, Philip, Dr. Philip Zimbardo, who's a uh, professor at Stanford, has done probably the most amount of research on boys and what's happening to them. This is what he says. Here are the four top things that, that boys today are being inculcated with or being uh, conditioned for. He says, number one is a fear of intimacy. The boys have a fear of sexual and emotional intimacy. This has been a huge problem in Japan. And in Japan, it's because now somewhere like 40% of young men don't want to have sex. And so you know what Japan's uh, approach was? We're going to make these young men watch porn. Because if mm. they watch porn, I mean, you go to Japan and porn is like everywhere. It's so over-sexualized, which is so weird because Japan is such a polite society and you can't step out or act different. But porn's everywhere. And guess what? It's had the opposite effect. Fewer and fewer boys are growing up and wanting to have sex. It's just so in their face all the time. There's no mystery to it. It's gross. They don't want anything to do with it. Number two, there is an increase, he says, in social awkwardness. Don't know what to do or what to say with uh, girls, right? Number three, loss of nonverbal communication skills. Young, young boys that have grown into men, they have an inability to understand the nonverbal signals what someone is giving off. You know, autism and Asperger's and stuff for young males has gone through the roof. And how do they define that? Well, these guys don't understand social cues, right? Number four, social intensity syndrome. This is really interesting. Dr. Zimbardo says, from the earliest ages, boys would rather hang out with guys, and that's it. And he goes, why did we get to this point? He goes, well, here are the reasons why. He goes, number one, there's excessive internet use, video gaming, and pornography. These are arousal addictions. He goes, you have to really understand the difference between a chemical addiction and an arousal addiction, okay? The thing is, is he goes, he talks about how like a heroin an addict, he'll take heroin for the very first time and he will get a high. People smoke dope, they get high. People will drink and they get a buzz or they get drunk, right? That first time is, uh, is so amazing that every time they use after that, you know what they're trying to do is recreate the first time. Mm. So what it is, is it's a same addiction. I want to get back to where I was at, right? And this is the whole notion of uh, hedonism as a, fall, as a flawed state because it's the law of diminishing returns. You always need a little bit more heroin to get you to the same. Arousal addictions are the opposite. Arousal addictions are the ones you're always looking for new, something to excite you in ways that you've never been excited before. He goes, that's what's the power in them. Uh, Jane, uh, I'll say her name wrong, uh, McGonagall. She says, by 21 years of age, boys have spent 10,000 hours of gaming, two-thirds of that time in isolation. Cindy Gallup states, guys don't know the difference between making love and doing porn. To them, it's the same thing. And the average boy today sees 50 porn clips every week. So Philip Zabardo goes on to state, he goes, therefore, you take what has been going on in the life of males over the last 50 years, and you see how it has all been designed to in my opinion, turn males into passive creatures. Uh, men are fearful of leading. They are fearful of insulting women. They're fearful of being accused of misogyny or a chauvinist. They're fearful of, of uh, stepping up and in, in being a guy because the whole 
meme in our society is that women are always good. They can do no wrong. Men are bad and it's always their fault. And so a lot of men buy into this. So males are retreating into their own worlds and this is not good for them. And women are now angry and frustrated and disillusioned because men have done that. So even when females use sex to draw men towards them, they are unhappy with that. You see, and so now sex is, is the, is leading in, in the development of relationships instead of at the end where it was meant to bond after all this other stuff had taken place. So our society has totally turned all this upside down and now males are suffering the consequences and they need to know and learn and discover how to break out of this. Well, in the last couple of minutes, give me if this is all true and everything you're saying is happening, what's the answer <laughs> to helping develop strong, mature relationships in men? Well, I think we have to basically say that masculinity is good. We have to recapture that as an upstream core value. And then second of all is how do we develop boys into masculine men? Mm. And once we get that right, and I think, and we'll talk more about that on Thursday and okay. then um, on the next one, but kind of how we do that. But that's okay. pretty, excuse me, uh, that's pretty much, I think, the nut of it is right there. Well, thank you, Pastor, for today's Bible study and, and looking in things um, in Genesis and helping us uh, put some terms and definitions into place as we move forward in this study all about men and how we can be authentic, God-fearing men in today's world. Thank you guys for joining us. Make sure mm -hmm. you leave a comment if you have any questions or um, make sure you tune in on Thursday for the next one as Pastor Doug continues delving into men and relationships. Blessings.